Great. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. And uh, gosh, it's, um, it's dark out there and these lights are very bright on there. I can't actually see any of you. So you, uh, you, may, be, um, you may be falling asleep or smiling encouragingly and I will, will not know. So uh, um, we're in the middle of a, a, a series um, called Practicing His Presence. And we're thinking about a number of spiritual disciplines. Um, we're, we're really um, thinking about... Um, that passage from 1 Timothy um, 4 says this, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present and the life to come. And we're thinking about a number of different uh, disciplines, uh, Bible intake, worship, giving, silence and solitude, simplicity. And today we're going to think a little bit about prayer and fasting. And uh, I, uh, I come to you kind of um, uh, in humility with that. In the, um, I've got to say, I mean, I, I pray a, a lot. Fasting, gosh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, who, who, who really loves fasting? Does anyone really love fasting? Oh, there aren't an awful lot of hands going up there. And it's a weird thing, isn't it? It's a weird uh, discipline that God asks us to engage with. But we're going to think a little bit about that. We're going to start by uh, thinking a bit about prayer, though, and then we're going to kind of move on to fasting as we, um, as we go through. And, and, and really, what I want us to think about here is, is, not, um, is not how we can um, be better Christians. That's not what it's about. It's not about how we can, um, how we can uh, take on disciplines to somehow you know, uh, become the kind of Christians that we hope that we could be. It's not, it's not about that. Really what we're talking about today is we're talking about going deeper with God. Talking about each of us having that call from God to go deeper with him, to get to know him better. And, and how, do you, what, what, how do you get to know somebody better? How do you move from that kind of initial conversation where you meet somebody, maybe you're, um, you meet someone at work or at school or at some sort of social function, and you start talking, don't you? And, and to start with, you just say some kind of basic things about yourself, and um, you're getting to know something about what somebody likes and um, what sports team they support and those sorts of things. But actually, as you begin to go deeper with people and as your relationship really um, becomes more profound, um, it's about sharing more of yourself with that person, isn't it? And about asking them to share more of themselves with you. It's about beginning to be real about our weaknesses. It's about beginning to know um, not just the surface things, but the deeper things and some of the hidden things in our lives. And um, God invites us into that walk with him. You, did you know that there are things about God that you don't yet know? There's things about him as a person that he wants you to know, that uh, are waiting for you to discover as you go deeper with him. And also for us, we have all sorts of barriers and walls that we put up, don't we, to keep ourselves kind of safe. And there's a journey that God wants us to go on of going deeper with him and beginning to be vulnerable with him. And um, the disciples uh, watched Jesus praying. And it's interesting, when you think about how Jesus functioned, so Jesus is like the son of God on earth. You, you, you're kind of, you're pretty certain that he's going to have a successful ministry as he starts doing his, his kind of three-year ministry. But what does he do? First thing that he does after getting baptized is he goes away to the desert and he fasts and prays for 40 days. And um, those of us that have read that, that's in, if you want to read that um, sometime, that's in Luke 4, the best description of that time. It wasn't an easy time. It was a time of temptation. 
It's a time of struggle and battle. Um, but, but Jesus um, started his ministry that way. And then as he began to engage in his ministry, and there was so much spiritual power in Jesus' ministry, that he would gather thousands of people. And this is before the time of amplification or anything like that. He would just go out into the countryside. Do you remember the story of the feeding of the, the 5,000? The 5,000, it says, was just talking about the men. So there were probably at least 20 or 30,000 people there. And, uh, and so Jesus had this kind of ministry that could gather those sorts of numbers of people just to hear him speak and to watch him as he prayed for people for healing and things like, like that. But then all the time, as you read through the Gospels, he was, he was stepping out of ministry and stepping back from the crowds and going and finding secret places and hidden places where he could pray. And the disciples that were walking with him and watching that really began to wonder. I, I guess they were kind of wondering, what is it you do, Lord, when you go off and spend the whole night on the mountainside? What are you doing? What is it that's going on? And, uh, and they, they asked the same question, I guess, you or I would ask if we were with Jesus, which is, um, how do you pray? I mean, what is it that you're actually doing? And so we're going to just read a passage about that from Luke chapter 11. It says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we forgive everyone who sin- also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And of course, I don't know about you, but I grew up um, hearing this. Um, in England, unlike in the States, in England, in state schools, a lot of them are what they call church schools. And uh, they're, they're regular public schools, but they're uh, connected with the Church of England. We don't have the separation of church and state that uh, we have here in America. And so I, just going to my local um, elementary school, remember every morning we'd have a Christian uh, chapel time and we'd be taught to pray this. And we prayed it using the old language, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, all of these and thys, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we, also, we just used to repeat it every day. So it's a very familiar thing, isn't it? But of course, Jesus wasn't giving us this kind of rote prayer that we're supposed to pray. That's not, that's not what he was telling the disciples. He was, he was giving them an understanding of, of what the heartbeat of prayer is. And there were some really radical things in there. You know, our father, just for, for a Jewish man living in uh, first century Israel, to, to address God as our father was incredibly radical. The, the, uh, the Jewish name for God, Yahweh, is something that we pronounce, but Jewish people wouldn't even say it out loud. They used Elohim, the, they used the, the name Lord, because they didn't, they, didn't, um, they didn't want to even use God's name. And yet Jesus is saying, uh, you can call him Abba, you can call him Dad, you can call him Daddy. Very radical things. And then he starts to go into some of the detail. And uh, we're going to look at that a little bit uh, more in a minute. And then Jesus went on and he said this. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. We can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. 
Presumably, the friend just kept knocking until he got an answer. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Remember, this is Jesus' answer to the disciples' question, how do you pray? And actually, uh, the NIV, which we're reading here, um, doesn't quite translate um, from the language it was originally written in. In the Greek, it's a continuous tense. So it's keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus is saying there's uh, certain things that we can pray about, that we should be praying about. We should be uh, worshipping God. We should be recognizing him as our dad. We should be uh, praying that he provides the things for us that we need, asking him to forgive us for the sins that we've committed, specifically going to him and forgiving other people of the things that they've done for us, asking him to protect us, asking him to keep us from temptation. These are part of our relationship with God. But there's a kind of spirit behind it that Jesus is saying, which is this. You're going to have to persevere, guys. This isn't like a fast food culture. Prayer isn't like an ATM where you just go in and type in your little prayer code and you just get out what you're looking for. There's this process of going deeper with God and there's a process of battling, really, that takes place in prayer. Like that person who's knocking on the door is not going to give up. And um, we get little insights in other places in the Bible as to why that might be. Um, I don't know whether you remember in uh, Daniel 10 when Daniel... um, was started praying for the people of Israel who were in exile in those days in Babylon. And he, he, he'd read in the scriptures that after 70 years they were going to be set free and it was 70 years was up. So he started praying, you know, God, I, I want, as it says in your, in your word, I want the people of Israel to be released from Babylon and be able to go back to Jerusalem. And, um, and nothing happened. And so he prays again and he's fasting and he's praying and nothing's happening and nothing's happening and nothing's happening. And then one day after he's been praying and fasting for weeks, um, an angel appears to him, and the angel says, that God sent me the moment you started praying. But as I was coming to you, there was a demonic prince of the people of Babylon, uh, uh, of, of Persia, who came against me, and I had to fight against him, and I couldn't overcome him. And then Michael, the angel of the people of Israel, came alongside me and helped me to fight this demonic prince, and we finally defeated him, and here I am. And um, it's a very, very strange passage. (laughs) And it's not that we are supposed to really get into thinking about what's going on in the heavenly realms in terms of angels and demons and all that stuff. The Bible doesn't give us much detail about that. But just occasionally it pulls back the veil and lets us see something. And I think it's this. When we're praying, we've got no idea what's going on in the spiritual realms. But we know that one of the ways that God works on earth in your life and in the lives of the people that you're trying to help and impact is through prayer. And there are all sorts of reasons why, and we don't understand them all, but there are all sorts of reasons why we need to persevere when we pray and not give up. So we're going to have a little think about um, what that is. It's, uh, it's living out our relationship with God. That's what prayer is. And uh, it's relational. And it's, it's not just formal prayer. It's also informal prayer. Uh, Paul says this in his letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 6, he says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Well, if you're doing the kind of, oh Lord, you know, please would you come today and help, you know, if you're doing that kind of formal praying, you're not going to be able to pray that all day, are you? We've all got things that we're doing. We're busy, we're, you know, looking after kids, we're at work, we're at school, we're doing all the different things we're doing. So there's clearly an informal component to prayer, just, this, just the everyday in our hearts, in our minds, raising things up to God. God, could you help me here? God, please give me wisdom. I, I, this person's asking me something. I, I don't know. Please, please help me to know what to say. What do I do in this situation, Lord? Lord, please would you give me breakthrough there? So there's that informal conversation with the Lord, as well as formal praying. And um, I don't know whether God has taken you on any prayer journeys um, I grew up in a, a very kind of conservative um, Baptist church setting, and really the understanding that I was given of God was um, uh, you called him Lord. In fact, of all the different things that people call God, I know some people in the church, um, I, know that, uh, I know that Barbie Bullschmidt, for example, calls God Papa. And um, I really like that she does that, but I find that really difficult to do. I've grown up calling him Lord. And so when I pray, I tend to call him Lord. And I've, I've grown up understanding that really God is primarily, you know, the one who's a judge over us. He's the Lord of all. He's high and lifted up. And so that's been the understanding that I grew up with from when I was a kid. And, um, and a few years ago, um, when I was still living in England, um, I felt like as I was praying, God was challenging me as I'd been learning to listen to God as well as just to speak at him, but also to kind of it's listening prayer, isn't it? Prayer is a two-way thing. I'd, um, I felt that God was convicting me that I needed to learn to know what it was for him to be a friend and to be a brother, not just to be uh, the Lord. And, um, and so what I, I felt that um, God was calling me to do was actually to stop my morning quiet time. Well, that was almost heresy to me growing up in the setting I'd grown up in. Being a Christian equals, one of the things it equals is quiet time in the morning with Bible and prayer. And I felt like God was saying, it's a, it's a, it's a habit that you've got, it's a good habit, but I want something deeper. And so I had a season where I stopped doing that, and instead I felt that, like God was calling me all day, every day while I was doing things to talk to him as if I was talking to a close friend. And it felt very, very weird when I started doing it. You know, just commenting on the sunrise or the sunset or talking to him about something that was bothering me, um, asking him to help me with things. And it was about companionship. And I remember there was one time where I was standing in a coffee shop waiting to get my coffee, and... In Sheffield, where I um, was living, in Sheffield in England, the city, um, it's very, very, there's tons of people everywhere. Sheffield has eight times the population density of Fort Wayne. So that, what that means is that whenever you go anywhere, there's always tons of people around. And it means if you go into a coffee shop, there's always massive lines. You're always waiting behind massive lines. And um, it's one of the things I like about living in Fort Wayne. It's like the definition of, definition of kind of a traffic jam is like six cars at a traffic light. It's wonderful. Um, but we were, we were stand, I was standing there in this long line, and the coffee shop was really full of people. And I thought, gosh, I've come here to have a bit of a quiet time with the Lord, to just read my Bible a bit, just to think during the day. And, um, and uh, there's, uh, I, my chance of getting a seat is almost zero, so I don't really know what I'm going to do. And I, I, was, I was doing this thing where I was learning how to walk in companionship with God. And I kind of jokingly said to him in my mind, I said, you know, Lord, um, if I was here with a friend... I'd send the friend off to go and get a seat while I got the coffee, and, uh, and then we'd be good. But, um, you know, so if you can get me a seat, that'd be fantastic. And I, I felt like it was, 
me just being, just pushing it a little bit too far, you know. Um, but I got my coffee, and then I went up the stairs where all the seated area was. It was completely full. And as I walked past my absolutely favourite seat, just by the window looking out, the person who was there, there were people standing around the edge of the, uh, edge of the room waiting for seats to become free. And as I walked past my favourite seat, the guy just get up, got up and left, and there, there you go. So I sat down. It was amazing. And I felt like the Lord just said to me, there you go, I got you a seat. You know, what's the journey that you're going on, which is not just about formal prayer, but it's also about informal. It's about learning to have God as your friend, to have God as your dad, to have God as a good father, Jesus said, a good father who loves to give you good things. It's, uh, it's a little rule of thumb that Jesus gives us. He's saying this, if you don't know whether God wants to give you something or not, Think about a good dad. Some of us have had good dads, some of us haven't. Think about a good dad and ask the question, would a good dad want to give you that? And if the answer is yes, how much more would your father in heaven want to give it to you? It's quite challenging to us in our kind of religious upbringing, isn't it, to think of God that way. So formal and informal. And then corporate and personal. So we, um, we, we need to learn to pray on our own and we need to learn to pray with others. The disciples prayed alone. Do you remember, for example, when Peter got a vision that was the beginning of Gentiles being able to um, uh, follow God? Uh, he, he was sitting, it said, upstairs on the rooftop. They had these kind of flat roofs you could go up to. He was sitting on the roof before dinner. He was obviously hungry because the vision he had was about food. Um, and he was on his own and he was praying. It says often Jesus went off on his own. So we, we're called to pray on our own, but also the disciples prayed together all the time. I mean, the birth of the church in uh, Pentecost in Acts 2, how, what, happened, what, what happened when those, those flame, when those flames came and the kind of tongues of flame appeared on their head and they started speaking in different languages and the church was rebirthed, what were they doing? They were together in an upper room and they were all praying together. It's one of the things we're learning as a church, isn't it? Is, uh, is, is corporate prayer. We, we just heard one of the notices this morning, one of the announcements about um, a, a time of prayer coming up uh, on a Friday night. It's because we are realising that if we're going to be biblical people, that God calls us to pray on our own, but he also calls us to pray together with others. Which of those two is more challenging for you? Do you find it easier to pray on your own and actually need to stretch into praying with other people, maybe even out loud? Or is it that you don't mind praying with other people in a church setting or in a Bible study, but actually finding the time and making the space to pray on your own, that's the challenge. Which one of those is it for you? So formal and informal, corporate and personal, with words and without words. You know, um, there's lots of passages in the Bible that talk about being still, aren't there? Uh, Psalm 37 says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalms 46 verse 10 says, he says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes prayer is just about putting the phone down, stopping the social media, turning off the radio, not having TV on, and actually creating some space and silence just to wait before God. That will be easier for some people than for others. I'm an introvert. My wife is an extrovert. And one of the things I've learned in over 20 years of marriage with Ellie is that introverts can feel fellowship with each other just through proximity. So if I just am in the same room as Ellie and we're doing something different, I feel like we've had time together. She totally doesn't. The only way that she feels like we've had time together is if we're actually talking to each other and interacting. It's different for different people, isn't it? But God works in both ways. There are times where 
He just wants us to be still in his presence. Are you, are you able to do that? Sometimes um, all the noise and everything else that we do is almost like an anesthetic, you know. If we just keep all the noise going and all the social media and everything else, we never really have to listen to the background noise at the back of our minds. But you know, those times of waiting and quiet and peace, it allows the background noise to come to the fore and you begin to know what's going on. It, it just allows you to deal with things with God that perhaps you can't deal with in any other way. So it's worth um, having times without words. Uh, speaking and listening. Sometimes I feel like we're so busy when we're praying that if the Lord actually spoke to us, we'd be kind of like, not now, Lord, I'm praying, you know? And, um, and let's remember that when we're talking to God, God isn't just a thing. God is a person. He wants to interact with us. Again, I think that's one of the lessons that we've been learning in Grace Gathering a lot over the last few years, isn't it? Listening prayer. How does God speak to you? It might be that he speaks to you through conviction, that as you read the Bible, for example, that particular passages just really, really sit with you and really get your attention and really make you begin to think, you begin to realize, I think the Holy Spirit might be communicating with me through this. It might be other things. It might be, I don't know whether you've ever had um, kind of God shoulder taps. It's just one of those things where you're just getting, going around your everyday life and the Holy Spirit just gets your attention. There's something that he wants to draw your attention to. Maybe it's a particular person or he's, there's something you need to say. Uh, maybe it's a, a gut instinct thing. Maybe, just like when we have the prayer team praying before the, service, before the service every week now, maybe it's that there are particular times where a passage will come to mind um, or a picture will come to mind. All of these are biblical. Maybe it's even with dreams. All of those are things that happen in the Bible. Is it, is it something that you're going to listen to as God as well as speak to him? In Acts 15, you see an example of, the, of corporate prayer of the disciples gathering together when they're just going to send off Paul and Silas. And in verse 28, it says this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. What was going on there? They were praying, and all of them together had a sense that this is what we think God is showing us needs to happen. So for me, um, beginning to listen to God was quite a journey. Um, I, I, I really wanted to hear God. I'd encountered one or two Christians that seemed to hear God, and my experience had been, this is when I was in my early 20s, my experience was that I'd never really heard God other than sometimes perhaps feeling convicted when I read Scripture. And, um, and so I, I really went on a journey of beginning to try to listen. And uh, the, the passage that really had struck me, that, that started me on that journey, was... Um, Colossians 3.15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And as I looked up the kind of the language behind that, in the Greek, the word rule, it could mean um, referee. Let, let the peace of Christ be a referee in your heart. And so I decided that I, even though I couldn't hear God giving prophecies and things like that, I thought, well, I do have a conscience and I do have the Holy Spirit living in me. And perhaps God is communicating with me primarily through that sense of peace. And I made a decision I was going to really start to tune into that and listen. What's the peace of Christ saying to me? Am I allowing the peace of Christ to referee in my heart? And uh, the weird thing was that as I started to do that, the first thing that he seemed to address with me was um, to do with going to bed earlier. I started to lose that sense of peace if I stayed up too late, particularly on a Friday night when I was living with two non-Christian guys. I was a single guy at that point, and um, we used to stay up late. And I felt like God was saying, don't stay up so late. 
go to bed earlier. So I did that out of obedience, not, not knowing why. But the weird thing was, of course, going to bed earlier, what does that mean? It means you wake up earlier. And I, instead of sleeping till 10 or 11 in the morning on a Saturday morning, I began to wake up at a normal time, wake up at 8 or you know, something like that in the morning on a Saturday. And of course, the other guys in the house were all fast asleep. And it became this time every week that became a really precious time with the Lord. It's in the morning, there's no other distractions, the house is quiet. And it began to be a place where I began to listen to the Lord more. And that was the place to me when I first started to hear um, prophetic uh, words, to see pictures, those sorts of things, which have now, now stayed with me for many years um, as I've continued to walk with him. So are you creating space to listen to God as well as to speak to God? And then, and then there's, there's really, I guess, three main kinds of prayer that we do in those times. There's worshipping him, which is devotional prayer. There's bringing him our needs and desires. That's petitional prayer. And there's seeking and praying his will. That's a different kind of prayer that really goes a bit deeper. Um, intercession is where we're not just praying stuff we want, but we're actually listening. As we learn to listen to God, we're saying, Lord, show us what it is you want me to pray. Show me what it is you want me to pray. And we begin to get a heart for that. That's what I think Jesus is talking about in the Lord's Prayer when he says that we should pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not that we say those phrases. It's that as we spend time with God, we begin to allow him to show us what he wants to do and we start praying in partnership with him. Paul said that we're called to be co-workers with Christ. It's a wonderful thing. If you haven't ever experienced that yet, it probably doesn't come until you begin to give God some space. And it's weird, you know, when I start to set aside time with God and really start to press in, I find it really hard, personally, I find it really hard for several days, maybe even a week or two, it just feels like it's hard work. It's like that thing where Jesus said, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. But, you know, over the years, I've had a number of times where I've had to press in like that, where I've allowed my prayer life to kind of just go, become too formal or whatever. And then I've repented and I've pressed back in, and it's been hard. And after a few days or a couple of weeks, I found that there's a different kind of sense that you get. You begin to have a sense of joy and peace, and that it's not just you praying at God, but it's God beginning to speak to you about what he wants you to pray. If you haven't experienced that, I'd really recommend that you go after that. Intercessory prayer is a wonderful thing to begin to engage with. So devotional prayer, Father, hallowed be your name. Petitional prayer, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sin. Intercession, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you see Jesus has all of those in the things that he's teaching? And then as we come into land this morning, I just want to um, just briefly think about fasting. Fasting is a little bit more of a tricky subject, I just confess to you, I'm not a great faster. I do fast sometimes. I fast usually, it would be, when I've agreed with other people that we're going to fast for something. Um, it's not my favorite thing to do. The longest I've ever fasted is five days. And I, I must admit, I was planning to fast for longer, but I gave in and broke my fast on a cherry tomato, and it was the most delicious thing I'd ever eaten. <laughs> so I'm not a great faster. Ellie, um, my wife, she fasts a lot. She fasts for things all the time, and she's done some very long fasts. And we had somebody, somebody living with us when we were living in the UK for a while who actually um, would do, regularly would do 30 or 40-day fasts, so amazing kind of fasting. Does that make them a better Christian? No. 
This is not what the disciplines are about. It's not about being a better Christian. This is about going after the heart of God. And so it's important to understand why. Why would we bother to fast? What does it do? And how does it help us? And I just want to read just a little bit earlier in Luke. We've been in Luke's Gospel today, um, in Luke 4, um, just to remind you of this. this is the, I, I referred to this earlier, but this is what Jesus did at the beginning of his ministry. So Luke 4, 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, so he'd already had the Holy Spirit come on him in the form of a dove. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he's listening to the Holy Spirit. He's listening to God there. And where for 40 days he was tempted uh, by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. One of the great understatements of the Bible, I think. In a desert, 40 days in a desert without eating anything. You'd be absolutely ravenous, wouldn't you? But then it says in Luke 4.14, the end of that time, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. You know, um, practicing God's presence through fasting, it's, fasting isn't necessarily about food, by the way. Food is the, one of the most common ones in the Bible. But fasting is having a period of time where you choose to abstain from something. So it might be that you're going to fast from social media, or it might be that you fast from something that you enjoy. If you have had some sort of eating disorder, fasting food might not be a good idea. It might be that you fast something else. Or it might be that you fast a certain kind of food, like candy or stuff that you like. But what you're doing is you're going through a period of abstinence, and it's a way to choose humility. This is not a way to try to persuade God to do something. It's like, I'm going to not eat until you do this, God. That's, that's not biblical fasting. Biblical fasting is a way to humble ourselves and say, I can't solve this, God, and I want to remind myself that I'm dependent on you, not just on me. When Jesus was tempted to turn stones into bread when he was fasting, um, the way that he, he kind of rebuffed the enemy there is he said, we don't just live on bread alone. And elsewhere he said, we live on every word that comes from God's mouth. It's that reminder that I don't just need physical food here, God. I need spiritual food. So I'm going to step back from physical food or other things that I need physically for a while so that I can remind myself that I need you. I can't solve this, Lord. I need you to step in. It can be a way to cooperate with God in seeing breakthrough. I fasted before to ask God to set me free of sin. When I've got tangled up in some patterns of sin and I've not been able to get free, one of the ways sometimes I've got free is to just fast and pray and say, God, I need you to deliver me. I fasted when I'm doing deliverance ministry, when I'm praying for somebody uh, in prayer ministry, and I suspect that there may be demonic things going on, then I've often fasted for the day before I've prayed. The reason is that Jesus said very specifically, do you remember when he'd healed the epileptic boy and it was a demon that was involved, he said, this kind of demon only comes out with prayer and fasting. So there's been times where I've, I've fasted for that. I remember Ellie fasting. When, when um, we were in the church in Sheffield, Ellie was the, in charge of the under fives children work for a number of years, and we couldn't get the workers. We just couldn't get, even though there were um, paid positions, we couldn't find people who wanted to step up and do those roles. And Ellie, I remember she said to me, I'm just going to pray and fast till we get them. She started praying and fasting. and we'd, had, we'd have a couple of months where we hadn't had these workers available. And then uh, she started praying and fasting. It was crazy. Within five days, within, the, within one week, we had all of the positions filled. It was like, wow, that was amazing. I'm not saying it's always going to be like that, but if at the right time and when led by God, it can be a very powerful thing, fasting. It allows hidden brokenness to surface in ourselves. 
Fasting often, one of the unpleasant things about fasting is that we become more unpleasant when we fast. I don't know about you, but I get pretty hangry, you know? Uh, and uh, even if I just miss lunch, it makes me bad-tempered. It brings stuff to the surface that is hidden. You know, when you, when you, um, when you squeeze um, a tube of toothpaste, toothpaste comes out. When you squeeze a Christian, Jesus should come out. Yeah? It's often not what comes out, though, isn't it? Yeah? Fasting brings these things to the surface and increases our reliance on the Holy Spirit. It means that we have to deal with these things with him. And, and you know, one of the things that I think results in more power is it reduces our resistance to the Holy Spirit. Um, we, uh, we had some time in, um, in the early 2000s with a, a church leader uh, from Nigeria called Enoch Adiboya. And the church that he leads in, in Nigeria is probably the largest single church in the world. Um, they saw a revival in the 80s into the 90s, um, and the Redeemed Church of Christ, um, Redeemed Church of God, I think it's called actually, he, uh, they, they, they don't know how many people they've got, but um, I remember talking, when we talked to him, this is many years ago now, they said, well, we have our average congregation size is 1,000, and we have 20,000 congregations. So something like 20 million people. They had a prayer meeting every month on Lackey Beach, and, they said, and usually they'd get between half and three-quarters of a million people turn out to their monthly prayer meeting. That's people as far as the eye can see. And, uh, and he came to us in Sheffield, to our little church in Sheffield of just a couple of thousand, little compared to them. And the reason he came was because he felt that God had said to him that revival was going to come in that place. And he spent some time with us, and this is what he said at the end of that time. He said, the same spirit of revival that's on us in Nigeria is on you, but you guys haven't learned how to get your resistance down. He said, when power, electrical power, goes through a cable, if there's too much power for the cable, it just gets hot, just puts out a lot of heat. You know, um, If it's got no resistance, if it's got very low resistance, there's no heat, it just, you just get power. And he said, what I see is I see when God moves in the West, it produces lots of books and lots of you know, songs and lots of conferences. And, but he said... Where are all the people who are coming to know Christ? Where's the power? Where are the people getting healed? Where's the people getting saved? And, and, and we said, well, how do we get that power then, Enoch? And he said, honestly, it, fasting has been a big part of it for us. He said, we've got 20,000 pastors and every one of them does at least a 40-day fast a, a year. It's challenging stuff, isn't it? So this isn't about being a better Christian. It's not about trying to be more godly. But there is a discipline that the Bible gives us there. If you are struggling with knowing that there's a significant level of God's power in you, but finding it hard to connect that with the world around you, with the people that you're meeting and so on, it may be that God's calling you into some fasting. Jesus said, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. And, uh, and he's calling us to that place of humility, prayer and fasting. So as we come to an end this morning, here's my question for you. How is God calling you deeper? Is it that he's calling you to set aside specific times for prayer? To actually kind of look at your schedule and, and say, okay, these are the times where I'm going to just make some space. Is it that he's calling you perhaps to pray with others? Uh, maybe you, you pray on your own, you do devotions, but he's calling you to pray with others. Maybe he's calling you to pray out loud for the first time with other people. That's a big step in growing in prayer, I think. Or maybe he's calling you to spend time praying alone. Is he calling you to that companionship thing? Is he calling you to remember to talk to him during the day? Do you kind of have your set times of prayer and then kind of 
put God on one side and get on with things? Is he calling you to bring him into everything you're doing, at school, at work? Or is he calling you to begin to think about fasting and to begin to deal with that humility thing, that allowing yourself to be squeezed, but doing it in a way that is um, asking him to give you a release of power in your life? James said, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you that you are so passionate for a relationship with us. And thank you that we don't live in a, in a time where it's all just about following rules or following the law. It's a, it's a time of relationship with you. But thank you, Lord, that you, you don't want to just leave us as functioning as we are, but you want us to go deeper. You want us to know you better. You want us to reveal more of ourselves to you. You want us to w- walk with you as co-workers We pray that you'd help us to go deeper with prayer and fasting, Lord, and to know your presence in our lives. Amen.